Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Let me lead you in a time of prayer to the Lord God. So I'd ask you to bow your heads with me and let me guide you in prayer. Lord God, we give you thanks for the stars, the mountains, the sky, the earth beneath our feet. Church, I'd ask you to just take a moment and give God thanks. He deserves your thanks and your praise. And Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would prepare our minds to learn from your word. We ask that you'd prepare our hearts to love you. Church, I'd ask you to just take a moment and ask God to open your heart and to instruct your mind. Maybe be so bold as to pray, God, I know that I'm stubborn and I protect my blind spots. So Lord, in this moment of Bible teaching, open my eyes and correct me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I ask you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one and to hear the word of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Church, as we have one opportunity here on the first day of the new year to open God's word as I just sort of prayed about it and thought about you and God's love for us and the love that God has put in my heart for you, I thought, what should I address this first Sunday of the new year? What my mind kept coming back to was what is or probably was the greatest source of trouble and sorrow and pain in 2022 
what could be the greatest source of trouble in 2023, but what also is what we were designed for and created for and is the very place where we would express God's love, and that is in relationships, in relationships. And so I want to talk this morning about relationships. Relationship is at the core of theology. Relationship is at the core of theology because theology is about God. And when we say God is, what do we say? God is love. And the reason, if we could put it this way, the reason that God is love is because God eternally exists in a relationship of love. Because God is triune, because God is a trinity, God is love. You see in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father, there's the first member, of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's the second member, and we meet the third member down in, what is it, verse 13, the promised Holy Spirit. If God were not triune, if God didn't eternally exist in a relationship of love, then God wouldn't have anything to love, and he'd have to create the world so that he could be love. But because God is triune, he has eternally existed in a relationship of love. That's why relationship is at the core of theology. Now, relationship is also at the core of uh, what we would say technically anthropology or humanity or psychology. Relationship is not only at the core of theology, who God is, but it's at the core of anthropology, who we are. Because we were created in the image and likeness of God. And God, the Father, exists in this relationship of love with God the Son and this relationship of joy with the proceeding of the Holy Spirit. And so being created in the image of God is being created by and in the image of that God who eternally exists in relationship. We were made in the image of God. Therefore, we were designed for a relationship and we're defined in many ways by our relationships. Relationship is at the core of theology. It's at the core of human psychology. It's certainly at the core of salvation. Salvation is described in Ephesians 1 as being predestined for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ. Salvation is being brought into relationship with God because he loves us and he adopts us into his family. Relationship at the core of theology, of human psychology, of salvation, it's certainly at the core of sanctification that is growing in Christ. My relationship with myself. Are you honest enough to say this? My relationship with myself is probably my biggest problem in life <laughs> because I'm, I'm not sanctified the way I want to be. My relationship with myself is a huge problem in my life as is also my relationship with every other person. Relationship is at the core of sanctification. Our relationships expose us, don't they? Our relationships reveal our sinfulness. Sometimes in ways that surprise us, but never in ways that surprise God. And if I could poke you a little bit, when your relationship with somebody else exposes your sinfulness, that somebody else is probably not very surprised. They know that you're not all that you should be, all that you could be. Our relationships expose us. We would have to say probably the biggest wounds from 2022 were those relationship wounds. 
Therefore, I want to give you three reversals about relationships. Relationships really are at the core of everything that we are. And yet, in so many ways, we think of our relationships in a godless way. And that causes so many problems. And so I want to give you three challenges that might reverse your thinking about your relationships. Three reversals for your relationships in 2023. Number one, relationships must be rooted in God's great love for us, not in our great loveliness or our great ability to love. I'll say that a couple times because I I didn't put it in your notes because I didn't come up with it till yesterday. (laughs) Uh, Number one, (laughs) relationships must be rooted in God's great love for us. That's the reversal, is that the relationships must be rooted in God's great love for us, not in our great loveliness or our great ability to love. That's the reversal. Don't root your relationships in your great ability to love or your great loveliness. Root them in God's great love for us. Relationships must be rooted in God's great love for us, not in our great loveliness or our great ability to love. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 the last two words of verse 4 really belong in verse 5 it says in love he predestined us for adoption to himself all week long I've been charmed by that that little phrase to himself salvation is that in love God draws us to himself to himself our relationships must be rooted in God's great love for us not in our great lovability or our great ability to love. The church is initiated by the love of God. We love because what? We love because he first loved us. The church is initiated by God's great love for us. And also, the church is identified by God's great love for us. Jesus says, they'll know that you're my disciples by the way you love each other because my love has transformed you. Our relationships have to be rooted in God's great love for us. How has God loved us? Let's continue reading Ephesians church. Let's look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is how God has loved us. This is how God has loved us. God loves his enemies and he turns them into his family. Love is the commitment to 
do what is best for the object of one's love, regardless of what they deserve, regardless of what they've earned, regardless of how lovely they are. Love is the commitment to do what's best for the object of one's love. And furthermore, that sweet Bible word agape, agape love, is that commitment to do what is best for the object of one's love regardless of what it costs the one loving. Regardless of what it costs the one loving. Love in the Christian sense is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's an act of the will. And it's a choice to do what is best for the object of one's love, even at the cost of one's own life. It means love from the heart of the lover, regardless of the state of the beloved, or regardless of what the beloved one has merited. That's why when he's going to describe the love with which he loved us, verse 4 of chapter 2, the great love with which he loved us, see verse 4 has to be verse 4 because he has to back it up with our deadness, our, our perversion, our passions, our twisted minds. God loves us not because we're so lovable, but because he is love. And church, I want to tell you, the reversal that has to happen in your relationships is that you have to stop thinking of your relationships as, well, I love others to the extent that they're lovable or to the extent that they're worth it. And you have to love others the way that God has loved you. God's love is extended to the unlovely and God's love transforms them, making them lovely. This is God's agape love and it's the kind of love that our relationships have to be rooted and grounded in. It's the, it's the one thing that makes our relationships supernatural. Anybody in the world can love somebody who's lovable. Anybody in the world can love somebody who merits that kind of love. It's only the Christian who can love the unlovely and make them lovely by bestowing God's great love on them. So in 2023, let that be the first reversal in your relationships. Let your relationships be rooted in God's great love for us not just in your supposed great ability to love or your supposedly great lovability. Second reversal for our relationships, the second one, let's say it this way. Relationships must be grounded and guided by God's word rather than, and here's the reversal, relationships must be, must be grounded and guided by God's word rather than my feelings and reactions. Let my relationships, here's the reversal, let my relationships in 2023 be guided and grounded by God's word rather than by my feelings and my reactions. Most relationships get to where they get to because of unexamined and unchanged reactions. Most relationships get to where they get to by drift rather than by design. Most marriages end up that way. Most parenting ends up that way. We just follow the course of least resistance. We just do what seems, what feels like the right thing to do at the time or what we learned to do from our parents, even if it was the wrong thing. And we just sort of go based on our experience, our feelings and our reactions. 
And everybody gets to where they get to based on experience that's faulty, reactions that are faulty, and feelings that mislead us. And that's why it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for me to have a conversation with you and say, how are you doing? And you to say to me, I'm not in a good place. (laughs) We end up not in a good place all the time because we follow our experiences, we follow our emotions, we follow our natural reactions. That's a problem that needs to be reversed. Look at how Paul expresses it. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. All about the worthy walk. And listen to how he puts it. Uh, Pick up Ephesians 4 in uh, verse 22. You see it? Verse 22. Put away. Put off. Put behind you your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we're members of one another. Be angry. But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anybody in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. How would this transform our relationships? But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Your relationships in 2023 will be transformed if you put away the old experiential feelings, desires of the moment kind of way of responding in relational conflict and instead you let everything be grounded and guided by God's word. You must choose to put aside the old desires, the old story you keep telling yourself and you must take in God's precious truth. The reversal is we have to stop evaluating events based on how we feel about them. It is very natural to evaluate events based on how you feel about them. But that's not supernatural. That's only natural. We have to stop evaluating our present circumstance by our past experiences. It's very natural to let your past experiences totally color the way you see the present. But that's not supernatural. Make this a year where you bring everything into the light of God's truth so that your relationships and the way you feel about yourself and the way you feel toward others isn't guided by your raw feelings and reactions, but it's guided by the truth of God's word. This is the challenge, church, and it is a constant challenge. It's a challenge for me. Do I trust my own heart? Do I trust my own wisdom? Or do I trust God's light only and God's wisdom only? I lean on my own opinions way too much. I trust my own emotional reactions far too often. They get me in all kinds of trouble. I trust my own experiential reflections too much. 
Even my own reading of my own experience has to be washed again and again and again in God's holy word. Let 2023 be a year where, where scripture is elevated in your, in your own internal dialogue. Scripture is not one among equals. I have my opinions, my feelings, my experiences, and Scripture. Scripture is not one among equals, or don't let it be. Your feelings should be governed by Scripture. Your own understanding, even of your own experience, should be governed by Scripture. That's why you need to be in the Word every day in 2023. Because it is natural to let feelings and experience and everything else guide you. And it is supernatural deliverance from that when you're in the Word. That's why you got to be in the Word every day. Because uh, our relationships have to be guided and grounded by God's Word, not merely by our feelings and reactions. And then I've got a third reversal for you in relationship. And this is the, the um, dividing point between pride and humility. So let's say this. In relationships, we must repent of pride. In relationships, we must repent of and fight against pride. In relationships, we must repent of and fight against pride and instead cultivate and embrace humility. In relationships, we must repent of and fight against pride and instead cultivate and embrace humility. Isn't that what he says here in uh, verse 30 of chapter 4? To repent of pride and sinful anger and instead cultivate humility. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you. And instead, verse 32, be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. Let your eye wander back to the beginning of chapter 4. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2, with all humility, gentleness, patience. Hello? Sometimes we make things too complicated. We're like, what is the Greek word study of patience? No, it ain't that complicated. Just look at Ephesians 4 verse 2. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Church, that is not hard to understand. Your problem is it's hard to do, so you pretend you don't understand it. It's easy to understand. It's like next to impossible to do. So we do that old Christian dodge where we're like, well, maybe the Greek reveals something else. Or we do like that personal subjective dodge where we're like, well, you don't understand. My circumstances line up such that that verse doesn't apply to me. We, we do all sorts of dodges to get around it, but what it says is very strong, very demanding. Humility, gentleness, patience. Maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know that moment of relational conflict, sometimes you see red so quickly and your mouth just launches in at such a velocity that it seems like it all happened in a nanosecond, but there, there is a second in that buildup to relational conflict and its worsening where 
you have that moment where your temper can rise and get the best of you and you can really thrash the other people around you or a spirit of humility, gentleness, and patience could prevail. How do we reverse it so that instead of damaging others with harmful words, with even abusive conduct, instead we bless others with humility, patience, gentleness, forgiveness. Humility is the only way to get there. Ephesians 5, being filled with the Spirit is the only way to get there. Ephesians 2, being transformed by God's love in the gospel is the only way to get there. Relational conflict happens when humility is gone and there's just self-will versus self-will. There's just pride and stubbornness versus pride and stubbornness. Humility always moves first. Humility always serves first. And humility always wins in the end. Because there's a lot of things I don't know, but I do know that our God is opposed to the proud. And our God promises his very gracious presence and power in the lives of the humble. There's a real illustration of this. This is a real illustration from my ministry, but it's not about somebody who's in the room right now. Uh, it, it's a, a roommate situation where two roommates, they were both young women, were fighting. And one or the other of them contacted me. It was like, we're, we're just having a terrible time, but we both are members of the church and we're both Christians. You know, can, can you help us? So I met with the one roommate who was willing to meet. And I showed her Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And as I shared those verses, I saw a tear go down her face. But I soon learned that that tear was not a tear of remorse and repentance. It was just a, I don't know, it was just like a squeezed out tear of more bitterness because her words were, I'll never do that. I can't do that. My roommate doesn't deserve that. What do you say? What do I say when I'm talking to a professing Christian and I show them a Bible verse and they say to me, I can't do that. Well, in one sense, you're actually exactly right. I can't obey the Bible. I'm my own biggest problem and neither can you. So there's kind of a sense in which it's true. If I'm talking about me like just me, I can't do that because I'm a sinner who's proud and, and stubborn and, and bent in all sorts of ways. But see, the deal is, we can't say that because Ephesians tells us, the New Testament tells us, that when you come to Christ, you went ahead and died. And just as Christ is risen again, the you who couldn't 
died, and now the you who can, the new you, now lives in Christ. So in a way, that, that hard-hearted roommate was right when she said, I can't. But in another way, if she was really born again, she wasn't right because she was holding on to her old self, which couldn't. But in Christ, that old self could be put to death. And the only way that she could forgive her roommate who didn't deserve to be forgiven was if she died in Christ, rose again in Christ, and then in Christ forgave her roommate. This takes deep humility, doesn't it? This takes self-denial, gospel self-denial. I close with uh, something about self-denial that it was, it's been on my heart the last couple of weeks, and I first heard this my, when, when I was 15 years old, my pastor shared this with me, this like quote about, about dying to self. Maybe you've heard it before. It's kind of a famous Christian quote. That is dying to self. I heard it when I was maybe 15, and I've never forgotten it. I mean, I didn't memorize it. I had to look it back up, but thanks to Google, I found it again. But I first heard this when I was 15, and it has, it has never left the resonance of, of my memory since then. What would it mean to reverse my relationships from being rooted in my lovability or my ability to love and rather rooting them in God's great love for me? What would it mean to reverse my relationships out of my own dispositions, my own experiences, my own feelings, and to gu guide them all by God's word? And what would it mean to reverse that constant pride and defensiveness and self-absorption with humility and self-denial? Perhaps you've heard this before. It's called, that is, dying to self. When you are forgotten, neglected, or purposely ignored, and you don't sting with the insult of the oversight, that is dying to self. When your good is spoken of as evil, and your advice is disregarded, and your opinion is ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart, but take it all in patient love, that is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, any annoyance, that is dying to self. When you are content with any food, any clothing, any interruption by the sovereign will of God, that is dying to self. When you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met and can honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater and your own circumstances more desperate, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or to record your own good works or itch after praise, when you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. Only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. This is not describing the old you. This is not describing the old me. This is describing the new reality of dying and rising again with Jesus. So church, I would challenge us to let 
self-absorption and self-promotion die with the old and to let a Christ-like self-denial where we're caught up in the life of Jesus and trusting Jesus and walking with Jesus show us the way to healthy relationships in the new year. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we we have been taught far more than we can put into practice. Your word is so rich. Your way is so wonderful. And our faltering, stumbling steps have such a hard time progressing in it. And so as we pray, we thank you that as we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us all of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, the guilt and shame and the pain that we have caused one another in our relationships, we repent of it and we lay it at your feet. We know that you can restore the years that the locust has eaten. We know that you can bring life and a beating heart to a stony dead one. And so we look to you to restore, to forgive, to renew. And we ask that by your spirit, you would strengthen us away from the worldly way of self-absorption and self-obsession and into the way of Jesus, the way of self-denial, the way of trusting our whole life all of our relationships and our future into the mighty and merciful hands of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.